informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne perrott founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. Joining me this week is the fantastic LWDG Group expert Claire Denya and her wonderful husband, LWDG featured expert John Denya. How are you both today? Fantastic. Thank you, Joe. How are you very, doing? Very, very well. Thank you, Joe. Now, it's always a delight to have you both on to talk to um, our listeners and to talk to me. But before we get into our topic, which is living with a gun dog, how day-to-day life will affect their training. Before we get into that, can we have a, a little bit of your background and who you are? You want to go first, John? Uh, okay. Um, I am a dog trainer and behaviourist. I've been working full-time um, with dogs and their owners and the primary thing that I look for is to try and build relationships um, between the dog and the owner and a little bit of understanding and how to communicate between the two of them. Uh, because we have working dogs of our own, I have a passion for gun dogs. So a lot of our work tends to be with um, working gun dogs. Um, started off with our own dogs just as a hobby and sorting out their problems and looking at different behaviours there. And over the years, just putting a lot, lots of training into gun dog training skills. Uh, I went to China for a little while to um, do a training course over there and was lucky enough to go back as an instructor. So I was working with people where English wasn't their first language. So it's quite useful for getting concepts and things across when you're trying to teach. Um, and now I just work full time, six, seven days a week, um, either training on the field with dogs or sorting out behavior problems. He's covered all that pretty well, really. Um, <laughs> uh, so John, John's been doing this full time now. I think it's about six and a half years now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, six and a half, years, yeah. going into seven years now, full time. I initially was part time while we were building the business and I went full time probably about four years ago now. Um, so I was doing about three days a week um, doing this um, while John was building the business. And, and then I came in full time about four years ago, I think. Um, so I'm doing six days a week now as well. So we just absolutely love it. We have slightly different passions on it. I, I um, very much enjoy working with reluctant retrievers, fixing retrieving problems um, and training gun dogs from a behavioural perspective, as well as just teaching them a skill set. So I quite enjoy the challenge of a dog that maybe isn't the most natural gun dog and working to change their behaviour patterns to um, teach them a new skill set. So I'm not, I've never been to China. I didn't go. Uh, that was John's thing. <laughs> so I'm a bit more of a home bod. So we have slightly different passions, which works well because we have such a varied job. Some things John will go and do and some things I will do. So, yeah. So being a home bod is a wonderful thing when you have three lovely Labradors who live indoors with you. So you're the perfect people to talk to about our topic, which is 
how our day-to-day, just general life, affects our gun dog training. Because it, without doubt, does, doesn't it? Hell yeah, it really does. <laughs> I say to people all the time that there's so many things we do and don't do with our dogs in the home that can impact training and um things like well we're going to cover so many varied things do you want to start John talking about little puppy things and I'll add in there so if you think about what we do when we're training gun dogs we're training a set of technical skills really and it's where there's that conflict in the things that we do at home with those skills where the dog's going to pick up mixed messages so it's not so much that um, particular things in the house is training for the field but it's where the two will overlap and conflict sometimes so um, playing with a puppy quite often the puppies will want to really play tug and we work although we're going to play tug with them and get them to interact with us we don't want them to be, that to become their norm with a working dog if they're going to retrieve for us we want them to be nice and soft mouth so we have to bear that kind of thing in, in the mind when we're doing those games with the dogs when they're very young yeah and things like a lot of people um that i see with retrieving problems so let's just say i have somebody come to me the dog's six between six months and a year old and maybe there's some retrieving issues so we're talking about things like the puppy runs over maybe blinks the dummy or picks it up and then plays keep away with it does a bit of showboating tries to hide it i've even had a spaniel run off and try and dig a hole to bury the dummy right in front of my eyes and a lot of the time when we start digging deep about things that are happening in the home the puppy may have been scolded for picking things up it shouldn't have around the home or the owners chase them around the living room trying to get their brand new designer shoe back (laughs) or stop them running off with their underwear and things like that so a lot of the time we especially with gun dogs that live in the home Some of the retrieving problems that I see have been inadvertently created or made worse by interactions within the home regarding the puppy picking things up and carrying them around. If you think about it, like this topic has been discussed, maybe not on um, pod dog, but definitely within our, our dog and duck in our life coaching. But, you know, this like, gun dog that's kenneled versus gun dog that lives as part of the family within the home and there is a definite it's not easier to train a gun dog that lives in the kennel but it's harder to to make um confusing situations isn't it because when they come out of the kennel they come out to train so your yeah. mind is focused on training your gun dog to the best of your ability and then they go back in and they're pretty much away from the day-to-day then so that you can't damage damage as in damage your training the same way as you can yeah. with a gun dog that lives indoors yeah there's a lot more things that can go wrong with a with a dog a gun dog that lives indoors during those early stages in training I think there's less risk of of damage being done to the training with a mature trained dog but with a puppy or a young novice gun dog absolutely a lot of the things that go on in the home can impact the training as John said there are like blurred lines um so although it's not the skill that you're training, what you're teaching the dog from the way you respond to things that happen in the home can have a big impact. That's right. And because the dog's living with you in the home, there's going to be a lot more rules and things that the dogs have got to learn. 
Mm. Uh, not only have they got to learn these little technical skills, but they've got to learn what's appropriate and a way to behave in the house and around the house, which if they just live in, in a kennel, you don't suffer from that. They just go into the kennel and they kind of do what they like while they're in there. So um, there's going to be times when you're kind of not on the ball watching what's happening and what the message is that you're giving your dog. Your dog's picking up on uh, every single interaction you have with them. And just because we want them to learn something in a particular manner doesn't matter to them. If they do something different and it's beneficial for them, they're going to think, okay, this is correct. I'm going to do that. Mm. I think I think about it quite a lot and I, I talk about people devaluing their voice and devaluing their praise when they've got gum dogs that live in the home because it's so natural when you're pottering around the house to say you're right there good dog well done and they're not doing anything and we start to devalue the praise that we would use on the field um the dog's like well you praise me anyway when I'm doing nothing so I haven't got to work hard for it because I can just lay here or just move my right leg and you say good boy and genuinely people do do that you know you go around the house to see them and they're praising the dog all it's done is stretch out on the bed and they're going good girl and they're not even realizing that they're praising the dog for nothing which means that when they try to use that same praise with the dog when they're teaching them more technical stuff the dog's like I don't really value this I get this all the time the listeners can't hear me um because I keep on moved when you were talking but I am laughing my backside off here because I am probably <laughs> that person because I literally just constantly chatting to them I'm like you could buy oh like sometimes you want to go look at me a good way like oh you could buy so probably like sometimes when I'm doing these podcasts I think oh my god I am one of those ninking people who doesn't listen to anything but I again I think it's a bit of a case of because I was so used to them always being in kennels say now I walk past the kennels twice a day and I, the dogs will be there and I'll be like I might call their name or have some brief like like conversation with them not conversation they weren't talking to me but I would say something and then and that would be it but when they're in the house you see them constantly so you constantly have that like I've almost got the habit of saying something every time I pass the dog so now the dog's like she just talks to me all the time doesn't really matter what I'm doing um it is again almost a bit like somebody sent me this on an email saying we sabotage our training or the family sabotages my dog training which could be a whole yes in itself but it's like we don't even realize we're sabotaging our hard work by just these little like unnoticeable behaviors mm. yeah a real common one for that when um, we have a dog on the field is uh, we ask them to call their dog to them and they use just the dog's name now the dog lives in a household with five kids two adults and every two minutes, that dog hears its name. Now, if, it, if his name actually meant get from A to B and arrive here, you'd expect the dog to be knackered. It'd be running around all over the place because it <laughs> hears that all day long. But that word doesn't actually mean get from here to here. Mm. If we're lucky, it still means I want your attention. Yeah. Um, so um, that's one of the ways that uh, they can suffer. The other that we um, often see, um, and again, recall is quite a big thing for it, is... The dog gets very, very blasé to the voice. It becomes white noise. Um, and they'll ask if uh, using a whistle is going to help. 
And I always think that using a whistle can help in some instances in busy households like that. Um, when the dogs kind of puts their nose down or they're, they're busy uh, and they hear you say something, they've got to work out that you're actually, this time, you're talking to them. Mm. You're giving them a command and work out what the command is. Now, if you use a whistle, that is always going to be you talking to them mm. um, very directly. So uh, you use the um, kind of comparison that you could be sat watching television and your partner comes in and they start talking to you and you're halfway through a conversation and you kind of, what? What's that? And you've only just realised they're there they're talking. But if the smoke alarm goes off, all of a sudden that cuts through everything else. And it's because that voice has just become white noise a lot of the time. It's always there. It's just carrying on in the background. It doesn't mean a lot in that instance. And quite often when we're um, looking to train the dogs, we want each command to have a very specific message to the dog. And that's the only time they're ever going to hear it. And I think because of the way that we speak, it just becomes a big blur. It's one long tune to the dog. That's quite interesting because thinking about that, a lot of people think that whistles are a miracle cure for a recall that's gone wrong. But it's not that the whistle is a miracle cure. It's just that the sound is unique or different to your voice that they hear all the time in the field they could easily then go and damage the recall on the whistle by allowing the dog to ignore the recall on the whistle but it definitely is a more unique sound for a gum dog that lives in the home than listening to your voice i also think opening a fridge door is an amazing recall for a dog that lives in the house oh amazing <laughs> but then again, that just shows if your reward is like constant every time you do something they will comply to it. Um, yeah, so we've talked a bit about like um, like puppies and our behaviour around them. But we also, we'll touch upon it, but we need to talk about it a little bit more. The dog is not just having to deal with your behaviour, it's handler's behaviour around it. There's normally a family around it as well. And normally, in most situations, some of that family, if not all of that extended family, may have no interest in getting dog training whatsoever and will not purposefully go against it. But you can say, like, don't do that or, or only call the dog this way. And then you just see them completely smashing through every single rule you've ever made. <laughs> I mean, personally, the advice I would give on that, and John might have extra or different advice, but the advice I would give on that is if you've got children in the house, don't let the children use the dog's training dummies or training items for play toys at playtime with the dog. Have separate things that are not the same that the children can use because um, dogs can differ differentiate between different things. But if the children are using dummies um, to play tuggy, this isn't going to bode well for helping you create a nice retrieve with a nice delivery to hand um so that's one of the tips that I will give and I'll also say don't yet let the children or your other half even use the whistle the whistle is unique to you let them have verbal commands and you can be really clever and get them to use different verbal commands as well to what you use with the dog when you're training would you add to that John well if they if they're using different verbal commands quite often they confuse the dog by using the same commands that you're using in a different context. For a different meeting. So you have a dog up on the sofa and you want them to get off. So we'll go in and we'll tell them to go to their bed. Yeah. So they get off the sofa and they go to their bed. 
but somebody else may come and go down. The dog down. is laying down. The dog is laying down. They know that down means ends up lay on the floor or, or uh, lay, uh, drop their legs and lay on their belly. So you can get confusion that way. I think when the commands themselves are different, it can take a little bit longer for the dogs to start to understand the second command because mm. first person has taught it quite clearly. This is what it means. And the dog starts to get an idea. Then the dog has to learn, if you like, a second language. Mm. It's learning another word for the same thing. So I think although it can take them a little bit longer to do it, they are perfectly capable, but their vocabulary has got to be twice the size. Mm. It, it can be like horrifically frustrating though. Like for example, I love my husband to death. He knows this, even if he was listening to it. But like he'll throw a dummy and let them run in. And I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> and he's like, whoa. And I sometimes think. I think he does it sometimes in the nicest possible way just to wind me up. But then you literally, it, it must be difficult for dogs. It's like, well, he lets me do that and you let me do that. And the kids just let me do anything I want. So which one of you am I actually listening to? Mm. I think that's where having different items, like I would give your husband a toy. No, don't let him take the dummies. That's what I'd do. <laughs> um because, yeah, things like that. But dogs can learn to behave a certain way with one person in the family and that they can maybe get away with other stuff with another person in the family. They're clever enough to figure that out. But as John said, it's almost like they've got to learn two languages or start to go, right, this person I behave like this with, this person I behave like this with, this person allows me to do this, this person doesn't allow me to do that. They can figure that out. It just means, but I think this is why people say that it's harder to train a gun dog that lives in the home to a very high standard than it is to train a kenneled gun dog to a high standard. I think that's why, because the dog has got so much more to learn and so much more conflicting information to take on board and decipher. Yeah, they're certainly capable of doing it. Um, yeah. A lot of the time the dog's making its justifications based on what the consequences of doing something or not doing something is. Mm. And that's usually the difference between um, owners or different people in the family as to why uh, one person can recall their dog okay yeah, uh, and the other person can use exactly the same command and the dog doesn't come back. It's because the dogs learn what the consequences are from one person doing it. Um, now, that didn't happen overnight. That took a little bit of trial and error between the two people. Mm. So last week it was okay for me to do this, but this week it's not. And then the dog gradually, process of elimination says, oh, it's okay, so for you, I have to do this or this is what this means. This is what I get out of it. But for you, actually, I can bend the rules a little bit and I can do this and I can get this for myself out of it. Mm. That's different if you think about it. Then, like us as humans, though. So, like, growing up, my mum, my mum was the enforcer. She definitely was, without a doubt. But I would literally play monkeys with my mum and go and say to my dad, oh, mommy's being mean to me. And he'd be like, why are you being mean to her? And she'd be like, she is being evil and I'd be like I knew I knew what way I had to act with dad to get what I want I knew what I needed to do with mom you know even to the point as an adult I used to phone my father and say dad and he would say how much there must have been a dad literally the word dad I'd say in a certain way that meant I want you to give me money for something bless him 
But <laughs> you think if, if people can work out nuances that slight, like dad to dad, then our dogs have got no problem at all working out what each individual wants, have they? You'll watch them around the dinner table. If the dog gets up and they come to the dinner table and one person feeds them from the table, you can guarantee that when that person's at the table, the dog's got a mixed message and they'll avoid whoever's busy telling them they've got to go and lay on their bed and they'll gradually creep their way around to that person <laughs> that, that's going to benefit them. They learn that very quickly. Their the level of intelligence, you know, as a pup, it must be hard because they don't know enough about what their job's going to be, what the rules are going to be, what each person person's behaviour is going to be. So for a pup, we have to be really clear as a family, don't we? And if we do that as an adult, I'm not just saying we can just throw that all to the wind, but there's a little bit more wiggle room with an adult than there is with a with a pup. Always. I think I think a good example of that, I always say to people. And, and, you know, with a puppy, I want to make things as easy as possible for the puppy to get it right and to learn something as quickly as possible. So I always say to clients um, with dogs that are struggling to learn a sit stay, for example, for an adult trained dog, they have the self-control and the maturity that when you say sit, Sit means sit until further notice. Either another command is given or a release command is given. For a puppy that's really struggling, I will often advise that they use stay. And what they're teaching the dog is in the position of a stay, you will always reward them in the stay. You're never going to call them out of it and reward them because then you're rewarding a recall. So I will break it down for a puppy that's struggling, whereas stay means stay where you are, I will return to you and I will reward you in that position. Whereas wait, I will call the puppy out and then reward them, which means technically that puppy's been rewarding moving and coming to you, not for staying in one position. But once that puppy has learned that and they then mature and develop self-control and more understanding of what we want, Sit will just mean sit until further notice. But some puppies really struggle with that if sometimes we call them out of it and sometimes we go back to them. So I do like to split that for a puppy that's struggling because then they're like, oh, okay, I get this one. This one means I just stay here and you come back and reward me. And this one means I come out of it and you reward me. So we can simplify things. But this is where, as we always talk about on the dogs and ducks, on the society, working with the dog in front of you, the same applies to this sort of thing. If a dog is struggling, change something to help them learn it and get it right. Yeah, I think we talk about this loads like um, on dog and death things. And like the idea of, you know, it's, it's said about a poisoned cue or something like mm-hmm. that. Our dogs have the capability, we could, we wouldn't want to, but we could teach them five different words that mean sit. It, they they yeah. don't have to only have one way of learning something. So it's about us providing that simplified clarity as a path and then reinforcing it as an adult, but knowing that they have done it enough, they've had enough like chances to do that activity that they know what it means generally. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a case of when you've proofed that and the dog just has that 
I think a lot of it comes down to how much self-control that the dog has as it matures makes a big difference to how they can cope with and deal with the things we ask them to do. And, you know, when you look at the gun dogs that live in the home, when I teach a stay, one of the reasons I teach stay separately to just teaching sit until further notice is because I will use stay when I want my dogs to lay on their beds while I eat my dinner. They've been taught that in a way to understand that once I've finished eating my dinner, I will go over to their beds and reward them on the bed for being there. And then I'm going to release them. So that's one of the reasons that I think, especially with dogs that live in the homes, if we make things as simple as we can for them to grasp where the reward happens, then they can learn to live with us much easier and still develop amazing gun dog skills. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spend a lot of time with clients um, trying to get their timing right for rewards um, for the dog. So the dog gets a very clear message of what they've done correct and mm. how they've earned that. And if you've got a dog living in a household, especially a household with uh, multiple people in there, yeah. I think for a puppy, they're being told they're so good in um, such a multitude of different um, times, whether they're doing something appropriate or not. Uh, and someone's timing's bad, but it's almost random. So for the dog, it takes a long while to them to actually um, filter out when they're doing things correct and when they're not. Because mm. a lot of the time I get rewarded for this, I get rewarded for that. Uh, and we see it quite often with dogs um, when we try to get them to sit next to an owner. The dog's not sure what they're supposed to be doing, but one of the thing, few things that most people tend to get right and consistent across a family is holding a treat in front of a dog and just lifting it up and the dog sitting. So the dog knows when I do this, I get a treat. Mm. And it tends to be one of the first things that the dog seems to um, eliminate all this randomness. It goes, if I do this, I'm never wrong. So they do a lot of training up on the field and they're trying to get the dog to sit next to them or come to a certain position. And the, the dog just comes round, gives up, comes around in front of them and sits looking at them. Because mm. he goes, I know if I do this, I will get a treat. I've got this one nailed. Um, <laughs> but everything else seems random because the timing's been wrong. Or one person's rewarded me for this, one's rewarded me for that. And then we unwittedly go, good dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also think, like as we're talking about now, I love podcasts and I love conversations because I think it makes you think about other stuff. But if you think about it, we are very similar, like with all children, you know, whether they are ours or somebody else's. When they're babies, we literally have a conversation. When the baby is doing nothing at all, when we're like, oh, good baby, you know, oh, you're a good girl. And it's like, it's that conversation. It's very much blah, 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 blah at the baby's face. Um, because we're teaching a small person, hopefully over time, to speak. Um, but then we're very much the same with our puppies. You don't say to, I don't say to Meg, you know, if I say to Meg, oh, you're a good girl now, as a 13-year-old girl, she says, man, what are you doing? <laughs> but I think with dogs, we sort of keep it going because they never, A, they can't tell us why we're talking crap to them, but also they never go to that, like, being <laughs> our baby type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Not like, not, not let's go into fur baby land now, but we they, we always <laughs> We dote on them and we're like, oh, you're a good dog, good dog. And because they're little tail wags and we know they love that, that voice, we just do it all the more. You know, they've almost got us working like a little, you know, little slot machine. They keep on wagging their tail. We keep on feeding them nice voices. 
Yeah. It, hopefully it's not that eventually, yeah, we're hoping they're going to sit there and go, Mum, Mum, Dad, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> but I suppose the important thing, you know, to get out of this podcast is, like everything, we laugh about it, we joke about it, but the underlying theme here is we really have to be conscious in the home what our behaviour is telling them because where we make the mistakes when we then get frustrated out on the field, the reality is we caused it in the first place. Yeah, in, mo- in most circumstances, what we've done in the home inadvertently creates what we get on the field that sometimes we don't want. A good example of that, very often at puppy class, what will happen, we'll get the owners turn up with these gorgeous little puppies. Now, we love puppies and it would be really easy for us to crouch down and encourage every puppy to pull their owner on the lead over to say hello to us and we'd be like, oh, such a gorgeous puppy and the puppy crawl up our legs. Now, that's just teaching the dog to pull on the lead towards a person and also to jump up people. But what you see is the owner... The the puppy, so we're talking tiny little puppies here, like, you know, let's say around between 12 and 16 weeks, they're straining on the lead to get to us. And the owner's saying, oh, do you want to say hello to these people? The first thing I'll say, which goes against my nature, is absolutely not. Do not allow your puppy to pull on the lead to come and meet me. Because when that puppy Labrador weighs 30 kilos, do you want your dog and it will be a grown dog to pull you across the road to meet a stranger that they've never met before. And the look on the face is literally like, I hadn't even thought about, but that is, you know, that's the first step they've taken to encouraging their dog to pull them on a lead toward a person. Then of course we get contacted by people with a year old dog that's dragging them down the street to meet people, dragging them across the field to meet people. They have no um, lead control at all. And that's where it has stemmed from. It's from them very early learning moments that that puppy has had. I know we're talking about gun dogs here, but this is like across the board, all dogs, whether they're gonna end up on an estate or not, you know, we, um, Spaniel Aid, the charity, put out their figures for the last couple of months, um, a few days ago, and it was horrifying how many dogs. And when, like, you look at the, the they're like an infographic, and they show all these dogs, and they're like, this so many, um, far more males than females, far more under two being surrendered than over two. And you look at it and you think, okay, so the common things here are working breeds under two males hitting adolescents where there's no structure no control and pulling it back to this this is probably inadvertently the people never meant for this to happen nobody buys a pet and says let's make it a mental case that it's just happened by these little tiny things being not thought about Absolutely. And one of the really big ones that we have to add in on that, if if we're talking about gun dogs here and we're saying we want to train a gun dog to a really high standard to work on the field, maybe to do competition with, but they're living in the home with us and every little interaction makes a difference. How many times on our society group, on our pages, do people ask the question about how do I get my dog to settle when I take it to classes? It's wired, it's vocalising, it can't wait its turn but in the home that dog has not been taught how to settle that dog has not been taught to switch off 
it's constantly stimulated with toys or licky mats or all these other things that are on the market now. And so again, we are creating dogs that are not learning the ability how to be a patient gun dog, because in the home, we're not teaching that either. Yeah, the, the dogs, they're quite often, they're very stimulated, if, especially if you've got children in the house all the mm. time. You know, one stops playing with the dog and the next one comes in. And uh, <laughs> so the dog's liven back up again. Um, we had a, quite, a good, quite a good example of it with our oldest dog. She was very lively and in the evening would take quite a long while to settle mm. um, when she was very young. But uh, one of the things that we did was we popped her into a kennel with her breeder once a month to give, just give us a day off. So we didn't get up early in the morning and have to go out and do the toilet training and all the rest of it. And it also meant that she got used to us not always being there. Mm. And um, what would be very apparent was when she came back from a night where she'd just been in the kennel, no toys, no distraction, no people, she would come in and for the next few nights straight away, no problem at all, come in, just settle down, done. Because all of that kind of overstimulation was just taken away. And she learned just to, to calm herself down yeah. and to stop. She didn't need entertaining for 24 hours a day it was a really enlightening moment and we did it once a month for what probably about the first eight months of her life yeah. she would go and stay with her breeder and be in a kennel overnight and we would just have a night away or a night at home resting but we would really notice how much more calm she was when we brought her home for a few days because there wasn't all of that stuff going on in her brain that happens in the home. The TV's on, this is on, there's people at the door, this, that and the other. You know, it was really noticeable, Joe. With growing up with dogs in kennels and like with my dad, I think at one point I think we had ridiculous like 17 adults and pups. Uh, he never did anything by house. We didn't have one of anything. Um, and he, <laughs> he literally, you would take those pups, those dogs out and they would work they would train incredibly or you take them out to the toilet they would be like a pack they'd run around we had the room for them to do it and then they'd go back in and they'd go back into the kennels and they would literally put themselves in their boxes and you could look out the window five minutes later they would all be asleep or they'd be laying on top of their box just watching out, like out to see what was going on watching the birds whatever they were never like attacking the gates or hyper nothing like that when we was used to go out and they'd see us, they'd be like, oh, am I going somewhere? But that would literally be it. And I think you're quite right. They just learned area where I settle. This is an area where I don't. And if you've not given a dog that area to settle, how can he know? I'm sorry, if you could just hear that then. John's just gone over. Rose is dreaming. I don't know if you just I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, she's dreaming. Apologies, he's just gone over and just <laughs> absolutely fine. I can't remember. She's what. literally dreaming upside down, going <laughs> the little legs going as well. Yeah, bless her. She's quiet. Sorry about that, Joe. Continue. <laughs> I was on about it. anyway. Um, I think. Oh yeah, so we had quite a lot in the kennels, but they just when they went back inside the kennels, they just settle. And I think you putting your dogs in like once a month is also a fantastic thing to do because sometimes we have to go on holidays and sometimes our dogs have to go somewhere yeah. else. Sometimes our dogs have to go into a different type of environment. And all these things are this socialization for a different uh, situation your dog could find itself in. 
it's teaching the dogs to cope with life and we talk about this lot we can't wrap them in cotton wool and pretend real life doesn't happen it does and yes that was one of the reasons we did it we didn't realize when we first started doing it that we were going to notice how much more settled she was after a night with no stimulation being in kennels the reason we did it primarily to start with was because it's tiring having a puppy and we wanted to also make sure that when we went on holiday she would be happy to go back into kennels at our breeders while we were away we didn't have to want to worry about you know her being frustrated upset by that kind of environment so we had really good reasons to do that training but it actually showed us a lot of other stuff that we were like wow this really shows the difference here i think it's always important to teach a dog to be able to cope somewhere somewhere else if it's with your parents with your brother with your sister with your friend mm. yes like you said as much as we leave them just for them to know that you're always going to come back it's not it's not a permanent yeah. change to their life um, and so having a dog that copes with life in general much better makes them much more grounded settled dogs you know they if we can really create dogs that can cope with life then training becomes easier as well because you're not dealing with so many behavioral problems so to wrap up this amazing podcast, what are your top tips for living with a gun dog and keeping them well trained at the same time? <laughs> okay, so I've got a simple one. Everybody will kind of think we're like robots. So you never do this and we never do that. We got, we got dogs for the same reason that most people do nowadays. They're a companion as much as anything else. Mm -hmm. And the work inside of it and that is uh, kind of secondary. So one of the things that we do with all of our dogs is they have a nickname. So if we, if we use their real name, that means we are talking to you, just like that whistle tone, we're talking to you and I'm gonna give you an instruction. So sit up and take notice. If we're walking past and we're just telling the dog that we're going off to make a cup of tea uh, and would they like to go out the back perhaps, we'll use their nickname. So the, it's gibberish to the dog, doesn't mean anything at all, but it's not a command. It's not something they have to actually listen for. So we we kind of reserve their name for when we're actually going to give them a command. Mm -hmm. And we expect that name to mean something to them. You stole my favourite one. Okay, I'll think of another one. <laughs> so for me, I'm going to base it around retrieving. So if you want your gun dog to retrieve things and bring them to you happily and minimise the risk, because obviously dogs are not robots, things go wrong, but minimise the risk of having retrieving problems. Anything that your dog picks up in its mouth, treat it as a retrieve. Don't scold them, don't chase them, you know, encourage them to bring it to you. Don't get into a trade-off with them over it. Just encourage them to bring it in, stroke them while they're holding it, and then gently take it from them. Um, so that way, for me, that's the easiest way to avoid um, or to lessen the, the risk of having retrieving problems. Um, I suppose uh, if you remember that when they're in the house with you or in their garden with you, anytime you actually give them a command, you want to be seen to be or a cue or you ask for something depending on your um, you know, flavor of the month or what vocabulary. Um, what we want to remember is that that's the same as if they're out. So if you was out in a field somewhere and your dog's running around and you call them, 
you expect them to come back, not go out and get into mischief. If they're in the garden and you call them, don't just let them get away with not doing it just because they're in the garden and it's completely safe. You know, they're 20 foot away from you. If you've asked them to come, you've asked them to come. It doesn't matter where they are. Oh, yeah, it's another good one. Um, so I will say uh, in the home, uh, just as John's just talked about recall, but in general, in the home, one of the things that I always say to people is, to avoid damaging your training out on the field. Whatever it is you're asking your dog to do in the home, don't ask them to do it unnecessarily or unless you're prepared to back it up. So let's just take eating dinner at the table as an example. I, when I ask my dogs to go on the bed, if they get up from the bed, I will put them back on the bed um, because everything that we do within the home will impact what happens on the field. So always be prepared. Either don't give your dog anything to do, or if you do, be prepared to back it up. I'm loving them. I'm loving the consistency there, consistent training. And your last point is absolutely right. And I think it was in, I don't know which a podcast or maybe a mass class we did with you and Rob, where he said about um, don't, don't tell them where to go, just tell them not where to go. And so now, before yeah. when I used to try to get them to settle in one spot, I now... Just don't allow them the places they're not allowed, which, which is on the settee or up the stairs. They are now like a gospel. I will not break on those. If they get on the settee or go up the stairs, I put them right. But otherwise, you can go where you want. And now they just like sleep everywhere. And I was like, many years of arguing over this one with Ella. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a masterclass that we did. I think it was a masterclass we did. I could, yeah. And do you know what? You talk about little things changing your mindset, right? I had been so focused on getting her to settle in one place, which was obviously because I'm sure, bless her, I'm sure people listening, traditional gun dog trainers would be like, sort that effing spaniel out, right? But I'm sure <laughs> if, she, if she could talk, she would be like the rebellious teenager. She'd be like, not, not a chance. You ain't doing that to me. She just didn't want to go in this one place. Everybody else is fine in the one place. She didn't want to go there. But now I've taken that argument, that fight out. Now she just lays literally below the bench on the floor and I'm just like fine you're happy there's no argument here I'm not trying to get you back up on the bench you're just doing the one thing I wanted which was for you to settle there is no argument here so I think you're absolutely right on that last one it's like about being really clear about what arguments am I prepared to have here and what arguments or reinforcements am I not if I'm not going to get up absolutely. and put it right I'm not going to start in the beginning no Exactly. Genius. Awesome. Oh, so much fun having all you trainers at hand to put my little dog on. <laughs> uh, thank you, as always, for your wonderful help. If people want to get hold of you, where can they find you, Claire? Uh, so website www.familydogservices.co.uk. Uh, obviously, myself, you can find me on the Ladies Working Dog Group 24-7, more or less. <laughs> Uh, email for me is claire at familydogservices.co.uk John if you want me you can get me at john at familydogservices.co.uk or in the checkers pub <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for your wonderful wisdom again as always thank you to our listeners for listening in I hope you've enjoyed please let us know your comments there is a free members section for all ladies in our website if you want to come on there for your like posts on the forums, chats on the forums, we are there for you. To find that, you can go to www.ladiesworkingdoggroup.com 
forward slash join. You can join us as a free guest member and take part in all our conversations. Thank you again for being part of this and we hope to see you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Poddog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10 minute training sessions each day to fast forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com.